again, we're back. Welcome in. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's election week, so our schedule's been a little bit off. If I had one of you reach out in the emails and DMs, I had about 10,000 of you reach out and say, uh, hey, buddy, kind of kind of bang on the microphone there. Hello, hello. Uh, Tuesday, no pod. Wednesday, no pod. What in the world's happening? Are you alive? Hello, are you okay? Yeah, we're fine. We just had the staff take Tuesday off for election day. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Wednesday was pretty dramatic too. I've been down in Columbus. I drove all the way down because yours truly was not responsible enough to vote early. So I had to make the 12 hour round trip to do my civic duty, which I did. Met some of you in line at the polling station in Little Forts in Georgia, by the way. So it was good to meet you guys. But the bottom line is, as Stone Cold Steve Austin would say, we're back. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. We're well over 800 now. Please, if you haven't already, drop us one of those. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it out there. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your aunts and uncles. And get us to a 1,000 five-star reviews. I don't know what's going to happen. I just assume the universe is going to provide a really, really big, spectacular celebration if and when we get to 1,000 five-star reviews. So here's what I wanted to do this morning. Because as we speak and as you listen to this, I'm probably driving back to Nashville for Late Kick Live later tonight as you listen on Thursday, and we didn't have our normal Tuesday show, I'm going to change the format of the Late Kick Extra Pod for just this morning. Normally, it's Q&A. But what I want to do here is, since we didn't already get the game predictions out, I wanted to offer up the game predictions for Clemson-Notre Dame and Georgia-Florida. And what you're going to hear is what you normally would have heard on the Tuesday night show We didn't have it. So the individual videos are on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel now. Subscribe if you haven't already. But a lot of you prefer the podcast method. So we're going to start it with the Clemson-Notre Dame preview. And then I'm going to give you the Georgia-Florida preview. And then if you tune in to Late Kick Live later tonight, we're going to kind of do a follow-up and also do a deeper dive on some more games. So, you know, we kind of got a truncated timetable this week, as I say, because of the election. But we're trying to get every game preview that we normally would get in in there. Now, I don't know what the audio is about to sound like. I know that the wizards there behind the curtain, Jordan, Tani, whoever in the world produces this, they're going to make it sound as good as possible. But what you're going to hear, are you, you're going to hear pieces of audio throughout this podcast this morning or this afternoon when you're listening that were recorded at like three different times. So I, I don't know if I had a cough in one of them. I don't know if I just eaten. I may have hiccups going on in another one. I may have just woken up for a third one. But just rest assured, it is me. I'm on the same microphone. I cannot be held responsible for how different I sound. Just know I am not inebriated for any of this. These are my coherent thoughts on the upcoming game. So without further ado, let's kick it off with Clemson at Notre Dame. Take it away, Josh. Big game in South Bend, Indiana, Saturday night. Been waiting for this one ever since that ACC 2020-only schedule was released Clemson on the road, a six-point favorite currently as it sits in Vegas against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We've got a lot to get to here. It's another shot for Brian Kelly. Think about this. Think about the narrative that surrounds Notre Dame. Some of it I disagree with, by the way. I'll give you the portion I disagree with in a second. The portion I do agree with, I think, is kind of principle. It's kind of common sense. Notre Dame has been a good, solid program, but they haven't been able to get over the hump of beating one of the game's elite. Therefore, they've got to be resigned to second tier. Well, that's not the worst thing in the world, because what I get to now that I disagree with that people say about Notre Dame a lot is, oh, they're overrated. They're so overrated. And I take a deep breath there because I wonder, by whose ratings? By whose metrics? And I always ask, and they say, well, they can't beat Alabama. Well, no one's rating them ahead of Alabama. Well, they can't beat Clemson. Well, who's got them ahead of Clemson? By the way, they get a shot this weekend, but, but be that as it may, even if they lose Saturday, Who's rating them ahead of Clemson? Who's rating them ahead of Ohio State? I don't see anyone doing that. 
So if you find someone who's telling me Notre Dame is the second best team in the country, yeah, I may go along with you. But from what I can tell, people like me and others look at that top tier and say, yeah, those teams, those programs may be on a different level. Outside of that, when you get to the second tier, I don't know very many programs or teams that are ahead of Notre Dame right now. So it's a really good shot, nevertheless, for Brian Kelly Saturday. Um, Even without Trevor Lawrence, I think one of the more underappreciated aspects of this, if Notre Dame were to win, would be what it does for the perception of Brian Kelly. Now, I know you maybe have some outliers who say, well, he couldn't beat someone with their number one quarterback. Whatever. Uh, You could argue Clemson still has a quarterback edge in this game Saturday. We'll get into that in just a second. How much weight does the result of this game carry That's the question we won't really have answered. Clemson wins. If Clemson loses, still pronouncing that Z for some reason, if Clemson loses, I am of the opinion that if they were to take care of business the rest of the way with Trevor Lawrence back, and if they lose a close game Saturday, tough to see Notre Dame blowing them out. So if they win a close game Saturday, I'm of the opinion, whether I would agree with it or not, that the committee is still going to give them strong, strong consideration. And the committee, the reason I think that would probably do something that I don't think a committee has any business doing, which is guessing how a game would have gone if a player would have played. So let's get into this. Biggest question, we always go this route when we're looking potentially at an upset. We ask, can the upset happen? Of course, Notre Dame could beat Clemson. So how would that happen? That's our formula. That's how we do our game breakdowns. Well, it's obvious to me If you're Brian Kelly, I mean, you got to make someone not named Travis Etienne beat you. They are capable of it, but you you let the chips fall where they may. You know, you're you tip your cap if they do it at that point. But you got to make someone else beat you. Etienne, I think you could argue, is the most important college football player in America. Saturday, you could make arguments for Uyangalale as we mute the computer here. You could make arguments for a number of other people. Listen, I'm telling you the reason why I say Etienne, not just in this game, but maybe in the entire country is because this is a big game. It's going to have a ripple effect throughout the entire country, and he's the best football player on the field Saturday. How many touches versus how many targets, I guess? How many targets may even be the better question. How many targets would he get? If you were to talk to Clemson folks, people who cover the program, fans, those of you who watch every game, how many touches would you expect? ETN, in a big game for Notre Dame, I think you would float somewhere between like the 18 to 24 touch range. And that's big time. That's talking rushing and receiving. So I wonder, I mean, it's not going to be on the low end. I wonder how much on the high end that could skew. Last week, I mean, he bailed them out and he's bailed them out before. He had 84 rushing yards, I think 135 or 140 through the air against Boston College. You could see some kind of scenario especially if Notre Dame does a pretty good job against Amari Rodgers. You could see a scenario where you're watching the game midway through the third quarter. It's tight. It's it's 20 to 17 either way. And you're saying, man, best running back on this field is uh, ETN. Best receiver on this field is uh, ETN. You, you could say that. That's the kind of football player he is. How, having said that, though, this Notre Dame defense is very good. And we have seen many, many times, like if you want to commit to stopping the run, You can limit a running back. What do you do it at the expense of? That's the reason you don't see it done a whole lot, at least to that degree. But maybe the equation's different with Clark Lee when he looks at this Clemson offense because of what I'm about to get into, which is my biggest concern with Clemson in this game and maybe kind of moving forward. I think a lot's going to be made, rightfully so, about DJ Uyangalale getting his first start. And you're going to hear true freshman quarterback, inexperienced, on the road. You're going to hear a lot of this stuff kind of hyperbolically thrown around. And it's not that it's not true, but it doesn't really have such a granular, tangible impact on a game 
as specifics. So what specifically are we talking about there? Because true freshmen win games all the time. Uh, Senior quarterbacks lose games all the time. So what are we talking about here? Well, I'll give you my concern with Clemson. If they were to have the bailout theory in play and bailout pieces in play, it'd be a little bit less of a concern. And that would be basically a receiver core, the likes of which Clemson's had over the past four or five years. Well, they don't have that there. And the bailout is third and nine, third and 12, a critical amount of third and longs where you can afford, and you know as an offensive play caller or as a quarterback in improv settings, you know you can afford to either call a play or make a throw where it's in normal conditions, a not even a 50-50, like a 30-70 ball, but yet your talented receivers turn it into a 70-30, 80-20 proposition on your end. And it's not necessarily something that you would draw up on a grease board. It's not something you would ever go to a clinic and coach kids to do at the peewee or high school level. But yet, you know, because of the talent you have unique to you at Clemson, you can get away with it. They don't have that right now. Now, what does that mean? It could mean that it doesn't matter. Could mean Uyangalale is just that good and he wins a game. But I'm going to tell you right now, in order to win that game, and this is what concerns me, This is where the inexperience and the true freshman and seeing an experienced veteran defense that's really good against Notre Dame. Here's where all that hyperbolic stuff really rubber meets the road on. And that is the accuracy and the poise that it's going to take under pressure. And really, I'm not so much worried about the pressure. I'm worried about the poise and accuracy. He's going to have to fit it in windows. He's going to have to hit receivers in stride. And he's going to have to do it consistently. All it takes is one or two batted balls in the air to fall in the arms of a defender. And that could swing a game like this. So if the bailout options aren't there to the degree they normally aren't, I don't believe they will be. And if you've done at least somewhat of a decent job of limiting Travis Etienne and you're getting Clemson into a critical amount of third and longs, that's a really big deal for Notre Dame. That's where you're looking to if not steal possessions, flip field position. And this is one of those games where it's actually going to matter, by the way. The other aspect when we go Notre Dame offensively, everything that could be said about Ian Book has been said. It's their ground game that's going to have to win it for him. And I don't think Clemson has seen a legitimate run offense, but I always stop short because there's a big gap between saying you haven't faced something and you can't deal with that thing. Like if the Patriots were to play... In I'm in Columbus, Georgia right now. I'm in Harris County right now. So if the New England Patriots or the Chiefs, let's say the Chiefs were to uh, descend into Harris County Pee Wee Football League tomorrow, well, they wouldn't have faced an NFL team. They'll go the whole schedule. They wouldn't have faced an NFL team. It wouldn't mean they're incapable of playing against NFL teams. They just wouldn't have faced them. So Clemson may not have faced a legitimate rushing attack. For all we know, they're equipped to deal with it. But I sure do want to find out. And I think if you're Tommy Reese... Sure do want to find out. One of the biggest potential opportunities Saturday is for Tommy Rees, who won't even play a down. He's the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame. And you're talking about a perceived mismatch. Him versus Brent Venables, who's been around for 100 years and is widely regarded, including in this circle, as the best defensive coordinator in the country. Think about what you could do here. If you're Notre Dame with the run game, think about what you could do. If you're just staying on schedule, okay, I'm not asking... Tommy, I'm not asking Ian Book and Tommy Reese to dial up Ian Book to have the game of his life. I'm just asking for him to make enough throws. Screen game, I think, will be very effective here if there is a portion of this offense that is. But staying on schedule, and that doesn't mean tilting the field heavily in your favor. I mean the difference between maybe going 8 of 14 on third down versus 5 of 14. That's the kind of difference in this game. You're not looking at some wild swing. You're not. You're probably not getting to the fourth quarter saying, oh my goodness, Notre Dame's done something I could never have envisioned in 100 lifetimes. 
just little incremental differences in various portions of this box score could make the difference. And the other difference as we work around to the game capsule and prediction here, uncomfortability. That's the key. How many areas can you make them feel that? One of them would be what I just talked about. If Notre Dame is able early on to start controlling the line of scrimmage, which they have the offensive line to do, and there could be some vulnerabilities in that Clemson defense that maybe have been on display if you have picked through the film with a fine-tooth comb, but since they haven't lost a game no one's really focused on, they got a lot of talent. It's young in their front. I don't know that necessarily you're going to stress their secondary either way, but maybe you find some mismatches there at tight end, for example, and it's just a few extra move-the-chain, new set-of-downs type deals where you could flip that field position, you could flip time of possession. Some people value it more than others. But total plays, how uncomfortable can you make Clemson when you're midway through the third quarter? What if you've run 50 plays to their 31? What if time of possession is two to one? What if they realize, here's why TOP is important to me, because it's, it's kind of synonymous with limiting the opponent's possessions in a lot of cases in a game like this. This is not a game where you know Clemson's probably scoring a lot in three-play drives. LSU used to do that last year. Like They would have time of possession against them, total plays against them. It didn't matter because they were so explosive. I don't think Clemson's offense is going to be as explosive here. So I think those kind of factors matter. All right, no, Colin, let's dial up the capsule here, and let's show you what Vegas thinks. Let's show you what we think. Again, we generate our own in-house line, and we simulate the games ourselves, independent of Vegas and anything else. We like to show ours versus Vegas. So Vegas currently, the line there, Clemson minus six. We have it kind of a little bit shorter than that. We've got Clemson minus five. And I think I'm going to roll. I do this sometimes in principle. I think I'm going to roll right with our model. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Clemson to win. But because our model is shorter than the Vegas number, and I don't really have a strong feel either way, on principle alone, I'm going to take Clemson to win, but I'm going to take Notre Dame plus the six. Understanding all the while, this is not me telling you I'm betting this game. This is certainly not me telling you to bet the game. When I don't have a strong feel, I default to our model, no matter if it's a one-point gap that I'm trying to hit. So Clemson minus six, and we're going to take Notre Dame plus six. So we're going to take Clemson to win outright, Irish plus the points. Looking really forward to this game, though. All right, thanks, Josh. Really good stuff there. Really insightful. I love your style, and we hope to come back to you in just a couple of seconds. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at our rundown here, and we plan on doing that. If you thought the Clemson-Notre Dame preview was good, chock full of information, or if you didn't, hopefully we hit our stride in the Georgia-Florida preview. Hey, there's a lot of good stuff here. It's juicy. I don't care if you don't even care about football. There's just a lot of flat-out, mid-afternoon, soap opera-type drama coming up in this Georgia-Florida game, and we're going to talk about it right after this. All right, let's crank this thing up. Here is our Georgia-Florida preview. All right, it's the game in Jacksonville, the neutral side affair, allegedly neutral, Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida. I don't know which team you want me to say first. Typically, I just go with the visiting team first, but whatever. Here's what I do know. It's a big game. We've been looking forward to it all year. Georgia, three-point favorite as of this very moment. Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time kickoff on CBS, as is usually the case. And let me just do something. I'm going to, here we go. hope you heard that. I'm going to set the pen down, and I just want to explain for those of you who are neutral observers, maybe you're a Wyoming Cowboys fan and you just kind of watch for fun way out there in Wyoming. And by the way, credit you for choosing Wyoming to live in. That place is like a screensaver. Here's the dynamic or dynamics that are in play here. It is extremely tense in the Georgia-Florida rivalry every year, but it is even more so right now. Let me give you the Georgia perspective and then I'll give you the Florida perspective. The Georgia perspective is this. They view themselves 
as superior to Florida. They think that having to talk about Florida challenging them, that's beneath them. There's only one hurdle remaining for Georgia. It is Alabama, the college football playoff, the national championship. This is kind of a linear progression, and it's not a year-to-year reset. They don't just try and beat Florida, then, okay, we'll try and beat them again next year. They want to have put them in their rearview mirror, and here's the problem. There's a dude playing a quarterback by the name of Justin Fields who used to be at Georgia. He's not, and that's not a big deal as long as your quarterbacks who were behind him succeed, but they haven't. And so right now in year five of the Kirby Smart era, they have a mess at quarterback. Let's just call it what it is. And they're fortunate Stetson Bennett's there because if he wasn't there, I don't know what in the world they'd be doing right now. But that is giving Florida a window here. And there is a big recruiting advantage for Georgia currently in this rivalry and against most people. But Mullen has not kept up with Kirby in recruiting. This year, there are no official visits. I was talking to Steve Wolfong the other day about this. On-field results will matter in the 2020 college football season more so than any other season. Because you don't get to go to campus. You don't get to take in the environment. You don't get all the things you'd normally get to measure a university So you're just watching the games. This would be such a big statement. Georgia doesn't want that to happen. This would also give them two losses by mid-November in a year where they think they may have their best defense ever under Smart. And I would agree with them. So it's just, it's not something they want to discuss. As for Florida, it's kind of the opposite. They've been building towards this. And now the moment is here. It's not two or three years down the road anymore. They got the advantage at quarterback. They're comparable enough roster-wise. And by comparable, I mean they're in the arena of competition. They're, it's not one of those deals where, oh, we couldn't compete with them. It's They're in the arena of competition. And also, Georgia's banged up. Georgia at quarterback, like I said, it's kind of a mess. This is their opportunity, and they're very excited about it. But quickly, if they were to lose, it shifts to what we talked about in preseason. If not now, when? It's so great for those of you who, like myself, I just kind of get there, sit there and watch it. And you do too. It's kind of great. Hey, let me ask you a question as we dive into the preview. Georgia fans, Florida fans, you can answer this as well. Does it feel to you like the role of the aggressor has shifted? Because every year I go to this game, by the way, in a normal year. So every year I'm on the sideline and every year leading up to that week during the game week, I talk about Georgia, I talk about Florida, and it's always Georgia being the aggressor. And you're talking about everything that has to go right for Florida to win. And it always felt to me like Florida was on their heels a little bit in this game. It doesn't feel that way leading up to the game. Now, we'll see what the game itself feels like. I want to do something in this video that a lot of people are doing, but I want to do it in a different way. I'm not going to talk about Stetson Bennett versus Kyle Trask. I think it's pretty lazy. They're never on the field at the same time. But even if you're doing a quarterback comparison, I'm not thinking about it like that. It's kind of an apples to oranges because Kyle Trask has to face a different defense than Stetson Bennett does. Here's the question. And it's the same question that we asked kind of in a different way, but it's the same question we asked in the Georgia-Alabama game. Who will Kyle Trask be? It's kind of like, who will Mac Jones be? Because when you face a defense like Georgia, uh, they meet and surpass the freeze point that we talk about all the time. So the question is not, are they going to somewhat limit your production, but will your production fall off a cliff or will it just be throttled back a bit? And that's the question to ask about Kyle Trask. Will Kyle Trask still put up, let's say, 80%, 85% of what you would normally expect from him statistically relative to when he plays an average team? Or will it fall off to like 40%? Will will you turn on the TV in the middle of the third quarter and Kyle Trask has 109 passing yards, two interceptions? Like, that's the kind of disaster that you want to avoid. Now, in the Alabama game, the answer to who will Mac Jones be with Georgia on the field was he was a stud. And why was he a stud? Well, you know about Jalen Waddell. You know about Devontae Smith. You know about their receivers. 
But elite pass protection and an elite running back and elite run blocking, there's a lot of elite on Alabama, it allowed them to maintain balance, or at least the illusion of balance. And I define balance, as I've told you many times, differently than most people. It's not stats. It's as long as they believe you'll run it or pass it on any down, boom, you're balanced. Georgia had to absolutely honor the run on every down, even as Alabama was bombing away on him. And that was with both of their starting safeties. Now they'll be without one. That was with Jordan Davis healthy. Now they'll be without him. Which brings me to my next point. Jordan Davis is their, I think, their most important defensive guy up front. He is an interior clogger, but he also gets a lot of pressure. He can collapse a pocket on you, and it looks like he'll be out for Georgia. And that's with Richard LeCount, their starting safety, on the back end, out too. A lot of other guys banged up, but those are the two main ones. What does the potential loss of Jordan Davis here mean? I do not believe Dan Mullen will ever abandon the run in this game. Their rushing numbers, Florida's rushing numbers, aren't overly impressive this year. But it's it's got a little bit of that LSU flavor to it from last year where, in principle, now I'm not comparing them, but in principle, LSU's rushing numbers didn't light the world on fire last year, but yet you knew it was always there. It's just that they were a passing offense. Well, Florida's a passing offense, but I'll tell you what Mullen would love. He would drool at the idea of being able to do what Alabama was able to do and maintain at least the illusion of balance in this game. When you've got a back end of a defense, potentially a little off kilter with one of the premier safeties in the country out for the game, and you're missing the biggest interior presence on the opposing defense, and you can keep them off balance and keep them guessing with pass, run, pass, run, run, pass, pass, run, that kind of stuff is stuff that wins you ball games. And in these big games, in Missouri it may not matter, but in these big games it's going to really matter for Florida. Balance would be everything for Florida to be able to maintain. Georgia's not going to have it. Georgia, you know good and well, will be two to two and a half to run, run to pass ratio. Uh, I don't think I said that right, but you get it. They're going to run the ball a whole lot more than they're going to pass it. You could be the inverse, but instead you could still maintain the illusion of balance. Georgia's got to grab something in this game early. You could call it momentum. You could just call it the outright lead. They got to grab something early. They can't play on their heels. Florida could be staggered early and still win this game. I don't know that Georgia can be staggered early and still win the game only because that requires the come from behind element that I just don't think they have. The idea of playing catch up for Florida against Georgia, it's certainly not comfortable, but I don't think it's terrifying because you don't expect Georgia to pull away from you without you giving them a lot of help. And you trust your offense to be able to play catch up. If you as a Georgia fan were to turn this game on and it was 14 to three Florida early, what would you think? I mean, remember how Kirby Smart felt it necessary to manage the Kentucky game last week when the opposite was the score. Just think about the Alabama game is another good example. Once you were put in come from behind mode, as it turns out, it was over. Um, I look at the way that Florida could go about this. And if they grab an early lead, I, to be honest with you, and I've watched every snap of every Georgia game, I'm not sure how they go about it. The, the way they avoid that, obviously is their offensive line has to play out of this world. And what their offensive line has to do, even with Kyrie Campbell back and them holding Missouri, them being Florida, holding Missouri to, I think, 40 yards on like 23 carries last week, they have to prove, which they are, they're a different class than Missouri, and they have to make it matter. It doesn't matter what people call you in a mock draft or a preview magazine. You have to take over the game. And you have to continue to own the line of scrimmage, get a surge, and make it possible to lean on Zamir White and that stable of running backs and make it possible to just rely on the screen game and a few quarterback runs and not have to throw the ball 20 yards down the field to catch up. 
If you can do that, it doesn't matter what your run-pass ratio is. It could be 7-1 to one run to pass. You could look like a service academy. If you keep moving the football down the field and keeping it away from Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen, that's all that really matters. So I've talked about this game a lot. We did an early thoughts on this game, too. Let me show you what our model thinks, and let's talk about what Vegas thinks. Colin, let's roll the game capsule here. We told you we made this our best bet of the week, and we got it at four and a half. Well, Vegas now has Georgia as a three-point favorite. We think the wrong team is favored. This is taking all injuries into account, all suspensions into account. We have Florida as a one-point favorite. So our model actually likes Florida to win the game outright. I'm rolling with our model. I'm taking Florida to win the game. We got them at plus four for our early best bet. I would also obviously take them at plus three. That's how we see this game going. But I'll tell you what, I mean, been wrong before, I'll be wrong again. Either way, here's what I can guarantee you in this game. Our Sunday night show will be can't miss as a result of the outcome in this one. Really looking forward to it. All right, so there you go. Those are our game previews. Clemson, Notre Dame. We're taking Clemson to win, Notre Dame to cover. As I explained, no real feel. So it's just a principal play there. Certainly not advising it. As for the Georgia-Florida game, taking Florida to cover, taking Florida to win outright. And that is one of our five best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express this week. And a lot of you have been riding that Ramen Noodle Express to the tune of 60.5% against the spread so far this year. And we look to continue that strong trend this coming weekend. In fact, I'll give out the final plays, probably the final plays. You never know. Sometimes I give them out on Twitter afterwards. But I'll give out the final plays as they stand right now tonight on Late Kick Live. Make sure you tune in for that. And make sure you're following me on Twitter because I do give out a lot of late picks. Sometimes we get information here at the old 24-7 Sports Headquarters before the public gets it. And why in the world wouldn't we leverage that for our financial gain? Hey, I mean, we wouldn't be trying if we weren't doing that. So at Late Kick Josh is where you want to be following me on Twitter. All right, we'll do the normal Q&A format starting again next week. So have no fear. I've got your questions. I see them. I'm actually looking at them right now. I will aggregate them and we will start hitting them again Tuesday. Until then, though, for Tani and Jordan on the podcast editing side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. 